Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. At the time of this recording, if you are tracking with us in real time, then you may be aware that uh, we drop a podcast every Tuesday morning. I'll let you behind the curtain just a little bit. Uh, I record these podcasts typically on Monday morning. Uh, This is a real-time event for me. It's something that I'm passionate about. I love having the podcast. I'm just uh, personally rewarded and thankful for all the people that listen in. So if you're following in real time, then you expect the podcast to drop every Tuesday. At the time of this recording, though, we we skipped a week. Um, I wanted to let you know if you're looking at the time frame and it's a little bit off, uh, I actually missed a week due to, to being sick. It was um, quite an unexpected uh, turn of events, and I tried. I really tried to get the podcast done, but I just, I just could not get through an entire episode. And um, I'm really thankful that you guys are gracious with me and that you're patient. And some of you who recognize that, that you recognize that something was wrong, I really appreciate you all. Uh, and for those of you who who were not sure, we are back on track. And so today, I want to talk to you just a little bit about. Uh, the importance of being a resourced church and uh, that that comes because you know a couple weeks ago I was answering some questions and engaged in a conversation where in in a world in a time where the church has access to more resources on abuse prevention and intervention than ever before we're we're still behind there's still a struggle I think you know perhaps the biggest struggle is still our mentality. Um, you know, I was following a series of events with a major church denomination and, you know, there were some difficulties um, with an abuse case. I think primarily as I reflected and looked due to the leadership's uh, lack of humility, just the leadership really holding a an authority uh, power over position uh, where they really mirrored what, what we talk about with coercion. And I think it blinded them to see the necessary, the needed next steps. And so there is that. I, I really do think there is still a mentality. There's a, a spirit existing within the church that, for lack of a better word, is power hungry. And I do believe that. Um, if you were at the uh, ERLC event, the Ethics, Religious, and Liberty uh, Council event last October, in one of the brief times that I had to share, I I shared that concern that I felt that many of our evangelical churches have been overseen and shepherded, for lack of a better word, shepherded by individuals who were power-hungry, that were much more concerned with exercising power over than being servant leaders. And this is part, I think, of the church's overall difficulty in strategizing and responding to abuse. However, I say that, but I also want you to hear that that's not indicative of all churches. 
in fact, as I said to open the, the episode, we have more resources now than perhaps ever before. And many churches are taking advantage of those resources. They're learning from others. They're beginning to grow in their response. And so we're seeing a, a swell of qualified, competent responders being raised up from within the church. And as you've heard me say many times, my hope is that the church becomes the safest place on the planet. But in order to do that, uh, we have to be po- uh, properly educated. And in order to be properly educated, we have to be properly resourced. So I want to talk to you a little bit today, as I have several times in the past, but I want to reiterate it today, the need for the church to develop a comprehensive abuse ministry strategy. Now, when I say that, I don't mean exhaustive. I think, I think there are some folks out there who live in this work, in this world, and, and they hold to that. They really believe that the church must be exhaustive, that there's absolutely no margin for error, and the church must have perfect responses each and every time they confront sin, and in particular the sin of abuse. The problem with that is there's never been a perfect intervention. There's never been a perfect response by the church or anyone else for that matter. Uh, Abuse ministry and response is nuanced, and there will be blind spots. There will be misses. And let's face it, there'll be resistance. I mean, one of the things we learn early on, those of us in the biblical counseling movement, is to ask ourselves the question, do I have a counselee? Meaning, is the individual sitting across the table from me or the desk or in the, uh, the, the classroom, are they engaged in the process? Many times in both counseling and in intervention work, I have had the conversation where I've said the words, you know, I will not work harder than you will. And what I mean by that is it's, it's unfair and unrealistic to expect change to occur if the counselor, the therapist, the pastor, the helper is doing all the work, especially in the area of domestic violence prevention and intervention. As many of you know, perpetrators need accountability and clear steps of repentance. Victims need support, absolutely, but they also need empowerment. There are steps that must be taken, and those cannot be taken by people helpers alone, nor should the people helpers be the one taking those steps. So I say that to absolve the church somewhat of all the responsibility for change, but at the same time, that allows us to narrow our focus and say, even though you cannot do the work for your parishioners, that does not mean that you are free from the work. Your work is still very specific and detailed, and uh, and I think it, it begins and ends with what you believe about people, what you believe about God, what you believe about yourself uh, as an institution, as a church. Uh, but real quickly, I just want to walk through, you know, three areas that, uh, that you can begin to investigate, learn, grow, and enhance, I believe, your response to abuse. Three areas that churches we can begin to investigate, grow, uh, learn, and enhance our response to abuse. First is theologically. Theologically. There are some aspects of theology that are going to be applicable and necessarily so to the problem of abuse. One of the things that I tend to find when uh, dealing and working with churches is 
we tend to be reactionary. We respond to abuse rather than being preventative or taking steps uh, prior to uh, abuse occurring or being disclosed. And one of the areas in which that gets us in, in trouble, I think, is we draw really hard theological lines without doing hard theological work. And what I'm alluding to is we need to be having discussions at the level of the elders, of the board, of the pastoral staff, in regards to what we believe about certain things. Uh, that really is the work of theology. And I will, I'll go one step further. I'll go on a soapbox for just a second. Uh, I was recently talking to some doctoral students who are studying um, primarily psychology. And that was really the discussion because the degree was a theological degree and yet they were primarily studying psychology. And we were talking about should our theology inform our psychology or our psychology inform our theology. And some of us would say our theology should inform our psychology. We begin with our understanding of God, ourself, and others from a biblical, scriptural worldview, and then we move forward. There are others who would say, no, our psychology does affect and inform our theology. We learn things about God as we learn things about ourselves. I really, um, I don't want to say dismiss that, that point of view, but I, I really think that point of view is dangerous uh, I always want to begin from a theological position. I think the church should as well. The problem is we haven't been discussing theological issues outside of the ethereal um, big picture items. And it is important to have a healthy soteriology and to have a unified hermeneutic and to make sure your ecclesiological beliefs are uh, uniform for the for the church. It is important to talk about eschatology even if you differ to understand your position on pneumatology. But then the question remains, how does that affect people in their everyday life? That's what I'm getting at. Does our understanding of sin, is it big enough and rich enough to address the sin of abuse? Is it rich enough and large enough to address um, normative marital sin? Is our view of salvation uh, big enough to address the sin of abuse? Has our views of grace led us into aspects of condemning or perhaps um, giving license to people? Do we have a balance? That's what I'm getting at. Have we talked through the issues of abuse through a the theological grid? Most folks haven't. There's not a whole lot of work that's been done from that regard. I will recommend one small little book to you that has really benefited me over the years and it's by Our Daily Bread. It's called God's Protection of Women uh, by Herb Vanderlunt, I believe, is the author. And it's just a small booklet, God's Protection of Women, uh, When Abuse is Worse Than Divorce. And of course the subtitle leads you down a theological path. But I, I think what's so good about the book is the author takes scriptures about God's provision uh, for women and dialogues with them. And I just think it's a great, great little book. Uh, of course, there's a lot of other areas that we can delve into, but I think we need to be having theological discussions about how does the sin of abuse impact our view, or maybe better put, how do our views, our theological views, 
impact our response to the sin of abuse. Well, second, uh, theologically, I think it's one area we can improve on. Second is educational. Uh, and this is just the idea of learning about the dynamics and impact. Do we really understand what we're talking about when we talk about abuse? Uh, and I will say that many of us in the church have not had a very clear picture of what abuse is, or we've limited it to aspects of physical or sexual abuse, which are certainly abusive, or we have really placed it as some kind of, on, on a line, as like just one of the many sins that people can commit. And while, yes, sin is sin, abuse is a very unique kind of sin. It's a very harmful, shameful, direct, corrupt form of sin, uh, the impact of which affects the the target. There's an actual victim. There's a perpetrator. There's oppression. It's a unique um category that I think we should be thinking through and we should know about. We should know the dynamics and the impact. For instance, if you're a pastor or a church leader, have you dialogued about the the different manifestations of abusive behavior? Do you understand the larger rocks, the big categories of abuse from psychological, mental, emotional, physical, sexual, and so on? Now, I, I don't say categories in order to separate them. I don't think there's different kinds of abuse, right? I think there is abusive behavior, abusive choices. They manifest themselves differently. Um, have you dialogued about that? Have you read about that? Are you familiar with the common tactics of abuse? Uh, that's one of the things I really appreciate about the Duluth Abuse Intervention Project. When Ellen Pence and Michael Paymar and the team there put together the power and control wheel by consulting with victims of domestic violence. They, in consulting with 200 victims, gave us a tool that has really stood the test of time uh, that highlights some of the common tactics, coercion, threats, intimidation, isolation, minimization, denial, and blame, using the children, economic abuse, emotional abuse, and so on, giving us a really clear picture of some of the common tactics that are expressed by people who are oppressive and abusive. Have you dialogued with victims about the impact of their abuse, what they've experienced and how it affects them? Uh, you know, just off the top of my head, some, some folks that I've talked with in just the last year, right, um, impacts that include uh, fear, um, mental illness diagnoses, right, the, the mimicking nature of trauma that led them to be diagnosed with things like borderline personality disorder or bipolar disorder. Um, impacts such as high anxiety, impacts such as health problems, digestive problems, high blood pressure, or um, individuals who have long-standing uh, life-threatening health problems related to sexual assault. Uh, these are real factors, real things that uh, we need to be familiar with, and dialoguing with victims is probably your best way to learn these things. If you want just one resource uh, for a pastor that might be a helpful primer, a helpful overview, is uh, I would recommend Is It My Fault by Justin and Lindsay Holcomb. It's not, the, it's not an exhaustive work on abuse. I don't think it was intended to be, but I think it's a good primer. It's a great introduction to the concept of domestic abuse. It'll give you um, a little more um, uh, information that could be helpful. So theologically, educationally, lastly, I'm going to say is practically. 
churches really need to be growing in their practical responses. What we're talking about here is everything from the church's institutional, like benevolence type responses, how are we going to financially or how are we going to come alongside to meet the needs of victims in the area of security, sanity, safety. This can include conversations with your security team if you're a larger church that has a security team, uh, can be utilization of uh, property and facilities. Do you have access to apartments, temporary housing? Um, it could mean uh, financial support. It could mean educational support, life skill support in uh, overcoming some of the barriers that are uh, presented to victims. It can also um, involve aspects of pastoral care, how you present counseling and care. Now I know some would be very hard line and say well the church should fit the bill and they should hire a licensed trauma-informed therapist and that may be the best next move. But understand counseling is only part of a response to domestic uh, abuse and you may not have access to that. If you do have access to counselors and counseling becomes part of your strategy, then it is important that counselors be informed and aware of the dynamics and impact. That's why, again, educationally, your counseling team and counseling pastors should be educated on the dynamics and impact of abuse and also given some practical tools to help walk alongside those that are hurting. The same would be true for working with perpetrators and knowing that marriage counseling isn't recommended, for instance, and that you would need separate tracks of care and confrontation. And then this also applies to church policy, structure, um, and the way in which you uh, handle everyday life. Uh, I think one of the big misses for the church has been we have allowed lawyers to write these policies rather than um, working with people to write out thoughtful responses. Uh, it's not just about protecting you from a liability standpoint, it's, although that's important. It is more so about caring for God's people, shepherding the flock of God. A couple resources that I would recommend to you. Number one is the free curriculum produced uh, by the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, Becoming a Church That Cares Well for the Abused. You can find that, I believe, at churchcares.com, and it's a free video-based curriculum that covers all aspects of abuse. It, again, is kind of a primer for practical responses. The book, you can buy the softcover book, I believe, for a couple bucks through Lifeway online, or the PDF is free at churchcares.com. This is a good introductory resource. If you're looking for counseling resources, then I recommend... Uh, a couple things uh, to you. First would be my book, The Heart of Domestic Abuse, Gospel Solutions for Men Who Use Power and Control in the Home. And then secondly, Joy Forrest's A Call, Called to Peace book. Uh, those two will kind of give you a basic understanding of working with perpetrators and uh, also with victims. I would also recommend to you the uh, domestic abuse counseling observation videos produced by IBCD. Uh, these videos are nine sessions uh, that includes building a response team, it includes actual counseling sessions, three counseling sessions featuring myself and a character named Travis, um, and then uh, one session with Joy Forrest and Travis's wife Katie. These are 
dramatizations. There's not actual counseling, but I can tell you, having been part of the project, they are as close as you can get. I can tell you in my sessions with Travis, we did them uh, all in one take, um, 50 minutes of just intense dialogue. It was as close to an actual counseling case as you can get. And I can only attest to that, having been one who's done these many, many times, this was very, very realistic. And so I highly recommend that to you. You can find that at ibcd.org. Now, here's the crazy thing. I've, I've mentioned four or five, six resources to you in the course of this podcast. I could not have recommended three resources to you 10 to 12 years ago. Uh, from a biblical Christian perspective. And, and in just this podcast, I've recommended six, and I haven't even listed everything. I mean, I'm just looking over my shoulder, and I see Sanctuary by Sidney Millage. I see Not Forsaken uh, by Jen Greenberg. Um, I see uh, The Emotionally Destructive Relationship by Leslie Vernick. There are so many books, resources, um, Uh, options out there that can help you in developing good responses. So there's really no excuse um, to to grow in your response in this area. Quickly, just to end the podcast to wrap things up, if you are a pastor or a leader and you're wanting to grow in your response, that's what we want this podcast to do. We have uh, over 100 episodes now of, I hope, practical, helpful, uh, friendly, material that you can take and begin to to learn and grow in your response to the sin of domestic abuse. If you are looking for more, I would uh, also recommend to you uh, chrismoles.org. That's our website. Uh, Click on the coaching tab and look into PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership site. Uh, Hundreds of resources behind a paywall and we are still at our current price of $20 a month or $200 for the year at the time of this recording, and that is a bargain. And uh, I would invite you to dialogue with us, to join PeaceWorks University, uh, to step into our membership community and continue to grow and learn there as well. All right, guys, thank you for your patience again as we get back on track. Thank you for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast community. And until next time, God bless.